You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. The baskets are up. The eggs are uh, probably spoiled. Chocolate's all eaten, and you probably got way too many jelly beans. Um, I buy. I load up on the jelly beans during Easter because I like to eat them all the time. But Easter's come and gone. But what Easter is about lives forever. You see, Jesus. He rose from the grave, and it's the very reason that we're here today. And, and, and though the attendance all over the country and the world on Easter, you know, is this was a full house last week. It was, there was hardly a seat available because it's, it's Easter, and people show up at Easter, but it's just started. The, the Easter story, the resurrection, Jesus rose from the grave. Today, I want to talk to you about the now what? You see, before the resurrection, they met in the synagogues on a Saturday. But after the resurrection, the early church began to meet every single Sunday to remember and celebrate the resurrection and to plan how they were going to tell the world about the resurrected one, Jesus, the Son of God. So today, I want to I pick up where last week left off. And uh, if you guys know the story of, of the resurrection, Jesus showed up to, his, to several disciples throughout the day. And he showed up to the, to the 12 and some others in the evening, uh, late, later in the evening, before he had already showed himself to a couple of guys on the road. And he uh, appeared before Mary. And, but it wasn't until later that Sunday night that he showed up to his disciples. And all of them were there except for one guy whose name was Thomas could you imagine being that guy? Okay, guys, what did I miss? <laughs> Jesus, he's alive. Man, you guys are messing with me. You know, I mean, he's, he's angry, he's upset. How do you miss out on something like that? Monday rolls around. Tuesday rolls around. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You're like, ah, Jesus, come on. Sunday night, Jesus appears to his disciples again, and this time with Thomas present. You guys know the story. Thomas falls to his knees and puts his hands in his in his uh, in Jesus's wrists, his his hands and his side and his feet, and he says, "My Lord and my God." And Jesus says, "You're blessed, but more blessed." Jesus says, "Are those that don't physically see me yet believe." And guess who he's talking about? Us. He's talking about us. Those of us that have bowed the knee to Christ to follow Him, and and we have not had the opportunity to put our hands in his nail-scarred hands. Now, the story of the what now actually continues in the Bible. If, if you want to read the what now, then you need to read the book of Acts. In fact, there's a, a new series. Tonight's the second night. It's on NBC, and uh, it's called A.D. And A.D. covers the, the first half, the first 10 chapters of the book of Acts. So if you haven't watched that, they're going to replay last week's. It's a weekly series for 12 weeks, a great way to kind of get kind of an overview of the first 10 chapter of Acts. You see, uh, in the book of Acts, the resurrection picks up right where the gospels in. You see baby Christians grow up. You see uh, these young believers with kind of an innocence and, and childlike wonder begin to set the world on fire for God. They begin to see the world set free and the realities of a hostile world that's against their faith, that's against Jesus. Um, you see, the guy who wrote the book of Acts is the same guy who wrote the book 
or the gospel of Luke. Luke is like volume one, the acts of Jesus and acts is volume two, the acts of the apostles. So you have a two volume set. So if you're not sure where to start reading in your journey with God, start with the book of Luke, read through the life of Christ, then jump right over to acts. It picks it up right in the same place. Uh, The book of Acts covers 30 years in 28 chapters. It talks about how the church was launched, how it happened, how they were persecuted, and how Christians from all walks of life, from all over the world, began to turn the world upside down. So let's jump in right in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to look at the what now today. Today's series called AD. AD does not stand for after death. It stands for Anno Domine, which is year of our Lord, and it represents the day that Christ was born, how he is the pivot of all of history. The B.C. is before Christ. The A.D. is the year of Jesus or the year of the Lord. So let's look at the A.D., the story in Acts chapter 1. This is the final time that Jesus is to appear to his disciples. Over the course of about a month, 40 days, Jesus had been appearing to his disciples and appearing to crowds and preaching and teaching and training. Uh, Not every day just maybe once a week, sometimes twice a week. But for 40 days, he appeared throughout that time. This is the last time he appears to them. In Acts chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In my former book, that's the Gospel of Luke, Theophilus, he's writing to a friend, a new Christian friend, a Roman friend. He's got, a, he's, he's got the name Theo, like me. My name's Theodore, that's Theophilus. That's a Greek name. So he's writing to a Roman guy who's not Jewish. And he says, man, I told you all about Jesus in my first volume, Luke. Now I want to tell you about what happens next. Jesus part two right now. He says, uh, he says Theophilus, I wrote about in that first book, all that Jesus began to do and teach. His three years of ministry until the day he was taken up to heaven and after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, that's a reference to the cross, he presented himself to them. That means uh, that he rose again from the dead. After he died, he showed up to them and he gave them convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So I want you guys to realize that Easter was last week. Yeah, he's alive. But for the next 40 days, Jesus was walking with his disciples. And over, the, and over those 40 days, he met with them at their work. He showed up at their workplace. He showed up in their homes. He showed up with them as they were walking along the road. He, he began to show up in large crowds. Uh, Corinthians says that he appeared before a crowd of 500 people at one time, not including women and children. So no doubt Jesus is alive. And then he goes on to say, by the way, I want you to write this down. We're going to look at some, some core issues because today we're going to look about the what now. But I need you to write this down. Number one is that Jesus was clear about his mission. He was clear. He spent three years pouring his life into the disciples and those that would follow him. And then he rose from the grave and he didn't go, I'm alive. See you later. I'll be back later. He spent an additional 40 days defining and explaining his life. And all of a sudden light bulbs began to come on. I get it. I understand why you said you must die, why you must suffer. Now I get it. You said you were going to rise again. This is that. I get it. He began to explain to them. He walked them through the Old Testament and all the stories that were about him and how it is a process and a sign pointing to him. And he's the fulfillment. He was very clear on his mission. He came to ransom the world. He was clear about it. 
The story of Jesus, he says, however, Theo, does not end at the empty tomb. Jesus continues his mission through the pages of the book of Acts, through the lives of those that follow him. Look at this in verse 4. It says, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, I think that's funny because Jesus is often shown eating in the Bible, and particularly after he rose from the grave. He eats many meals with them. He's, he's driving home the point, guys, I'm not a spirit. I'm not a ghost. I am a real risen person. I am in the flesh in front of you alive. And let me have some fish. That was his favorite meal. He asked for fish almost every single meal. It says he gave them this commandment. He says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Now, two things. None of us in this room are very good at waiting. That's number one. And number two, they were scared out of their wits to stay in Jerusalem because think about it. Just days earlier, a massive crowd attacked Jesus, beat him to a pulp, crucified him, and they were determined to squish this movement that Jesus was starting. And so the last thing they wanted to do was to stay in Jerusalem. But Jesus said, you need to stay here and you need to wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. He says, for John the Baptist, he says, he, John, baptizes with water. The word baptize means immerse. Everybody say immerse. That means soak. That means you go under. That means you're in over your head, all right? He says, but John baptized or immersed people in water, but in a few days, you're going to be baptized or immersed in the Holy Spirit. So he starts to turn a page. He says, man, he says, baptism is a sign of repentance. But what's going to happen, what I'm going to send you, the gift that I'm going to send you is going to soak you in the power of God. He says, then they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? See, they're still not quite clear. They were expecting a political kingdom, not a spiritual kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says, you know, no, 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 you guys are going in the wrong direction. He says this. He said to them, it's not for you to know the time or the dates the father has set for his own authority. He says, don't worry about it. Just do what I call you to do. Guys, listen to this. You can write this down. Don't focus on the end time. Focus on the now time. See, that's what Jesus was telling the guys. You know, we're so obsessed. So many of us are are worried about the end times and books and movies and dates. We're addicted to the fear and anxiety of the end times. And, And Jesus says, whoa, 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 don't worry about it. Don't worry about the end times. Worry about the now times. Don't focus on the end times. Worry about the current time. Don't worry about the transition. Focus on the mission. Guys, I want you to, to realize this. That Jesus gives us a very clear idea of what his mission is. And in verse 8, he gives us our mission. Look at this verse 8. He says, don't focus on the transition of power. Focus on the mission with power. Verse 8, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, we started this move series with that verse, with talking about how when he first called the disciples, he said, hey, come and follow me and you'll fish and catch people. 
They didn't have a clue as to what he was talking about, but they were compelled by his authority and by the Spirit of God that was working in and through him and and the miracles that he did, and they followed him. But now it's starting to flesh out. Jesus is saying, you know what? I've been telling you all along that you're going to fish for people, that you're going to do something great, and and it's about to come when the power that you need to do this is going to happen. I want you to write this down, is that Jesus was clear about our mission. Every one of you who has bowed the knee to Christ, your mission is clear. Jesus was clear about his mission. He must live, walk this world, suffer and die for our sins, be buried and rise again. He was clear on his mission. Now he's just as clear on your mission. He says, you will be my witnesses. The mission, very simple. Tell the good news to Jesus and to everyone. See, Jesus is is echoing the clear mission he gave throughout the scriptures. Take a look at some of these. In Mark 1 and Matthew 4, he says, come and follow me and you'll catch people. In Matthew 28, he says, go and make disciples of all nations. In Mark 16, he says, go into the world and tell everyone the good news. In Luke 24, he says that you are being filled and that you're being sent so that the forgiveness of sins will be told to every nation. And in John chapter 20, he says, I'm sending you. And he goes on to say, so that the world might know about my forgiveness. You see, Jesus was clear about our mission. He is clear about what you are supposed to be about if you are a follower of Christ. We are rescued for a reason. We have kingdom purpose. We are not merely saved for heaven's sake and for hell's avoidance. We are commissioned and unleashed with a purpose to tell the world. He says, you will be my witnesses. How many of you think you're a witness? This is a trick question, by the way, so be prepared. How many of you think you're a witness? All right. You know what the word witness there is? The word witness is the Greek martus, which means martyr. So he says, you will be put to death for me. You will be martyred. A, a proven, genuine testimony through death. Now, I don't know if any of you have, uh, you're still alive. I don't know if any of you have been persecuted to the point of martyrdom. Uh, but you're here, so probably not. So we say, I'm a witness. Well, we, we want to be a witness. But he says, yeah, I'm going to give you a power that's going to enable you to face death. And nothing's going to stop you. And he says, witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth. And we kind of unpacked this a while back. But uh, the question is, when do we start? He answers it with that verse right now. Simply start at home and work your way out. Guys, listen, the mission is clear. And the time to do it is now. See, Jesus has risen from the grave. And the reason we're here today is not so we can sing some songs and get a little time preaching in the Bible and get our church in and do our kind of civic duty and become a better person. We're here to tell the world. We have a clear mission given by Jesus. Now, here's the third thing. I want you to write this down, that Jesus was clear on the power for the mission. He was clear on the power for the mission. He says, you will receive power When the Holy Spirit falls on you or comes on you. Now, the Holy Spirit is God. Make no doubt about it. 
The Holy Spirit is God. He is referred to as a person. He is not some sort of ambiguous force. He's not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is the third person of what we call the Trinity. The word Trinity is not in the Bible, but it means three in one. It's a, it's a concept that's clear in the Bible. Jesus is God. The Father is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Yet there is one God. There are three in one. And the Holy Spirit, you see, the Father is the aspect of God that is everywhere omnipresent. Jesus is the aspect of God that is in the flesh, seating on the throne, so that we might see this invisible God who is the Father. And yet, while he's on the throne, he sends his spirit, his power in us. The Holy Spirit is God working in us. And he says, this Holy Spirit, he says, is a gift, a comforter, a helper, an advocate, a teacher, a guide, the power of God in us. Power for what? The mission. Power for the mission. You see, here's what he's saying. You have knowledge, but you need power. Some of you guys in this room, you have knowledge about Jesus. You have knowledge about the resurrection. You have knowledge about the Bible, but you have knowledge. But Jesus is saying, but you need power. You need the power of God. Christianity is more than information. It is supernatural. And when we start embracing the supernatural life that God designed us to have, then we're going to see real change take place in our homes and in our work and in this world and in our life. He goes on to say in Acts chapter 1, verse 9, he said this after he said this. Man, this is where it gets me. He was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was them... You know, Jesus, I've walked with you and do miracles and signs and wonders. You become my best friend as well as a way for me to know God. And I love you. I love you deeply. And my heart was crushed and broken when you were crucified. But man, it's like the world had meaning again when you rose from the grave. And you want to leave now? Just, just one more day. Just one, but I, I want to know you, Jesus. And Jesus is saying, no, I'm going to send you somebody who's going to tell you all about me. But, but Jesus, I, I want to know you. I want to hear from you. I'm going to send you somebody who's going to tell you and teach you all about me, remind you about me. He's going to take you and empower you. And he's going to uh, and enable you to go to the world. But Jesus, I want to go with you. I want to be with you. Jesus is saying it's better this way because if I'm still here, then everyone has to come to me. But if I go to the Father and I give you the Spirit, now I can go to the world through you. But Jesus, I want to know you. I can just imagine as they're standing there, tears streaming down their face as the Savior is is lifted up into the heavens and, and begins to just disappear into the clouds. Yeah, I have no idea what that must have been like. We have all these illustrations of the cross and the tomb, but we have very little images of what it looked like with Jesus to ascend other than some painted art because it's one of those mysteries. And, you know, sometimes I'll, this, this is the truth. I, I'm fascinated by that whole idea of how Jesus left this earth. And, and sometimes I'll go outside. I almost even thought about us all like just taking a break and all going outside and looking up at the sky just to kind of get the glimpse. But I want you to walk out sometime today or tomorrow when it's a blue sky. And I just want you to look up in the sky. I want you to look at the horizon. I want you to imagine Jesus floating up into the sky, knowing that that's going to be the last time possibly that you'll ever see the Savior of the world. 
Now, some of these disciples got a chance to see Jesus again later on through special appearances. But I can't imagine what that might have been like to all of a sudden see him disappear. To be gone. I'd be bawling. I'd be crying. I mean, it's hard enough to, to think about seeing my kids go off to college, you know, to see my kids leave, to see my kids grow up. I mean, that crushes my heart. But to see Jesus, who I walked with, who held me, who, who healed me, who touched me, who, who opened my eyes, to be gone. And it says this, Then suddenly, two men dressed in white stood behind them or beside them. These were angels. Two angels were like, what are you guys looking at? Because they said this, he goes, men of Galilee, why do you stand here staring or looking into the sky? That's what I'd be. I'd be like, all right, any second now, he's going to come back with one more word. One last thing. Oh, don't forget. I almost forgot. He comes back to yes, Jesus. This time I'm hanging on. I'm going with you. They're just staring. Speechless. Not knowing what to say. Afraid of what to say. How do you transition out of seeing that? And these angels say, why are you just staring? And then they said this. These angels. This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. Guys, Jesus has another mission. It's his return. And just as he rose from the grave and ascended, he is returning again. He's coming back and he's not lax on his coming. He has not forgotten. You know, it's been a couple thousand years, but this is, you know, a day is like a thousand years to God. Our time frame does not match up with his time frame. You should have an expectation of his return. The resurrection is proof of his return because Jesus has a clear mission and his mission is he's coming back. And until then, he's given us a clear mission. See, Jesus, he once told his disciples, he shared a story about a master who, who divvied up his wealth among his servants. And he gave one each according to their own ability. And then he says, when I come back, uh, I want to check on what you have done with what I've given you. And the master leaves. And in this parable, uh, the master returns and several of the servants have multiplied what he had given them. But one buried it and hid it and and. Man, in the story, the master who represents Jesus unleashed on the one who hid it. And I often think, what will Jesus find when he returns for us, when he returns for me? People too scared to tell a friend, too scared or or lazy to help a neighbor, to reach out to a stranger, paralyzed by what people think, married to materialism and self-obsessed, Because Jesus will be back. And what will he find? Acts records how they were empowered by the Holy Spirit and how they began to tell the world. And I want to tell you two things that are important in in, in order for us to know what to do next. And the two things are this. Number one, you might think, I I can't do that. I can't tell the word. I can't be bold. I can't. I can't. Well, you can through the power of the Holy Spirit given to you when you became a follower of Christ. You were deposited into your life with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is with you. He is the power of God to give you the boldness that you need. But I want you to realize this. I want you to write this down. Is that God uses 
unexpected people to accomplish his mission. You think, not someone like me, though. I mean, I can't hardly, you know, speak in front of crowds and, you know, but you can talk to a friend. Well, I don't have any gifts. I can't sing, but but you can make a noise into the, uh, uh, to the world about how awesome he is. Well, I don't have skills or power. You know, you have something that God has given you. And, and we can't forget this ragtag team that Jesus called. He called farmers and fishermen, society rejects. He called businessmen and regular Joes and fighters and sinners and who were caught in the act. And, and I'm glad that, that Jesus called these people and I'm glad they finally got it because, because they got it. We're here today. But we can't forget that God chooses unexpected people to accomplish his mission. And, and you need to realize this, that if you're a Christian, this may not be new, but in spite of being grateful and knowing that you are to fish, we still shrink back. We tend to think that fishing is something that you got to do alone. Here's the second thing I want you to realize this, is that God uses fishing buddies. He has called us to a great mission. He's called unexpected people. That's you, if you are a follower of Christ. And he's called us to be fishing buddies. We are fishing buddies. You have a fishing buddy. It's us. The church plays a part in the mission. See, here's great news. Fishing is a buddy sport. Fishing was never meant to be a solo expedition. We're called to partner together. Jesus always sent sent out his disciples in groups because every good fishing trip takes a buddy along. Guys, let me tell you something. This is is what we need to realize. This is that now that we're talking about how to tell the world, we've been talking about that for a while, and we saw, man, you guys brought some friends and people came last Sunday, and those of you that are coming back here today, man, I hope that you, you continue this what now journey with us. But I want you to realize is that you don't have to be alone on this journey. So where did this whole idea of church come from? Well, let's take a look in Matthew chapter 16. Uh, Jesus had been with his disciples for a while. This is before his crucifixion. He'd been with them for a couple of years already. And when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? What are people saying about me? What are you hearing? What's the buzz that everybody is saying about me? Try this at work because everybody has an opinion of Jesus. I mean, just randomly ask your friends at school or work. Hey, what do you think about Jesus? Who do you say that Jesus is? What a great way to get a conversation started. You don't have to talk about church. You talk about Jesus. So he goes on. Well, they replied, some say that you're John the Baptist. John the Baptist had just got his head cut off. So they're thinking that maybe you're John the Baptist and that somebody else had their head cut off or that he's back to life or whatever. And then some say that you're Elijah and others say that you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Some people think that maybe you're the return of these great biblical prophets. They definitely see you as somebody who's a man of God. But then he says, but who do you say that I am. You see, if you're in the process, if you're in this room and you're in the process of finding out if God, if Jesus or if church is, is what you want, this is the question, not where did the Bible come from or are there errors or did creation really happen? This is the real question. Who do you say Jesus is? See, in verse 16, Simon Peter, he's the, he's the, the most boisterous one in the bunch. He said, Simon says this. He said, You are the Messiah, son of the living God. He says, here's what I think, Jesus. I think that standing two feet from me in sandals 
a dirty robe, a beard, and messy hair. You're not some reincarnated or return of a prophet, but you are the anointed one. You are God in the flesh. You are the one we have been waiting for who has come to save us. And Jesus replied, you're blessed, which is code for you got it. It means right on. Jesus says, right on, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. He says, this is a God thing. This isn't a human thing. You've got to have a revelation of this. Some of you guys, you, 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 you know that's the answer, but you don't know this yourself because only God can reveal that to you. And he says, now I say to you that you are Peter. By the way, this is where Simon becomes Simon Peter. Before this instance in the Bible, there's not a single recorded evidence of the word Peter as a person's name. This is the first time in written history that we ever see the name Peter being used as a name. And he says, you are now Petros. That means stone. He says, and I've got a, got a bunch of stones here. He says, you, Peter, man, you, Simon, son of John, you are now Petros, a massive, uh, a small stone. And then he says this, and upon this rock, which is a different word, which is Petra, he says, I will build my church. Now, Petra is a massive, unmovable, hard to grasp mountain of a stone, mountain of a rock. And he says, you stone have got this. And this rock of what you said is, is the truth. And he says, and upon this rock of what you said, I will, that's future tense, build my church. This is the first time the word church shows up in a religious reference in the history of the world. This is the first time the word there is a word called in Greek known as ekklesia. Ekklesia means to gather together in an assembly. You see, you cannot be the church alone. You must be the church together. The very word itself means together. It means to assemble. It means to purposely gather together. Where did the word ecclesia come from? It comes from Athens, where in Athens they had this, this special group of influential citizens that proved their citizenship either through service in the military or born in the area. And these citizens met weekly to gather together to discuss ways to make a difference in their community. And they were called ecclesia. Jesus says, you know what? That ecclesia that you heard about, I got a new idea for that. I got a new ecclesia. And it's going to be made up of new citizens. It's going to be made up of people whose citizenship are not based upon their nationality or race or where they were born. But it's going to be based upon this mountain of what I of what, of what you said, Peter, it's going to be based on that. And he says, and all the powers of hell, the word there is Hades, not like where, you know, demons and stuff are going to be cast. The word there means death. And he says, not even death can conquer it. That means you're going to die, but it's still going to go on. People are going to try to shut you down and discourage you and kill you. And you know what? Death, Hades can't even stop it. Nothing is going to stop what I'm going to build, he says, and will not conquer it. 
You know, this is often debated by many. Uh, what was he talking about? Let's kind of look at this a little bit more because this marked a moment in time for who we are as people. He gave us a mission. Now this defines how the mission is work. Let's look at this separately. Now, I've got a bunch of stones here. And here later on, I'm going to pass out some stones to, to everybody. And basically, Jesus called Peter... A stone. And I want you to think about a stone. This is a stone. The Petros that Peter was is one that can be held in a hand, one that's used to sharpen knives, one that is used as a tool or as an arrow. He says, you are a tool, Peter, in the hands of God. If you will put me in full control of your life, you will no longer be Simon. You're going to be a tool of change for the world. And because of what you've said, <laughs> You've got it. I'm in your, you know, I'm, you're in my hands. He says, you are Petros. Now, I want you to take a look at what he says next because he says, and upon that mountain of a statement, upon that rock, he says, this big, unmovable, hard to grasp truth, he says, I will build my ecclesia. I will build this, this new community. He says, he says, guys, what Stone said was right. And I'm going to launch a new movement with a brand new assembly of citizens and a new citizenship, not based on race, language, nationality, or economic factors, but on the rock of what Stone just said. He says that I am the Christ. I am the one and only anointed Savior. That's what Christ means. Christ means Messiah. It means long-awaited, anointed, promised Savior. That whole thing means that. So, Jesus, you are the Savior that we have been waiting for, the one and only anointed one. And then he says, Jesus, you are the Son of God. Son means in the flesh. It doesn't mean that God had a baby. It doesn't mean that Jesus is the Father's Bubba or the Father's Junior or he's God in training. That means in the flesh. He is in the flesh God, the living God, the actively working, not vague force. He is God in the flesh. He says the truth is this unmovable mountain of this new movement. He says that truth, with that truth I will build my church. Upon that truth of who I am. Guys, listen, followers all around the world gathered last week. And they're gathering today, not the holiday Christians, but the the followers of God are gathering all around the world and the true followers have this in common that Jesus is the one and only Savior who died for our sins and that he is God in the flesh. His, our citizenship with those, a body, the body of Christ around the world is based upon that mountain. And he says in the gates of hell, he says, man, you can't stop it. Governments can't stop it. Inquisitions won't stop it. Misinterpretations won't stop it. Cults won't stop it. Persecution won't stop it. You name the problem, we've had it, but still more to come. And still every generation, still more come. And every generation, still more come. Because you can't stop it because it's something I am doing. What do you think these guys were saying after that, or thinking after that? As they were looking at Jesus, I'm sure they were a bit confused. Little did they know that based on that statement that we're here today, little did they know that based on that statement, There's about 3 billion people gathering today around the globe, lifting up the name of Christ. So Jesus is saying two things. He's saying, you're fish and I'll build my church. On one side, he's saying, you need to go fish. And on the other side, he's saying, I'm going to build it. 
So we often think, what's the connection? What's the correspondence? What's our responsibility in this balance? How do we go and how does he build? Here's the beauty. Ecclesia is, is the partner in the process. The ecclesia, the church, is the bridge. As Jesus builds the church, we are to go. And the, 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 the church, the local community, us meeting together weekly, is that bridge between the two. By the way, the church is the only organization that Jesus ordained on the planet. He didn't ordain ministries. He ordained the body of Christ, the church that meets locally and regularly to make a difference in their communities. Guys, listen, any ministry worth its salt, any, any ministry worth its time must be grafted into a local body somewhere. Because Jesus ordained the church for the work of the ministry and all ministry must be an extension of a local church or under the accountability of a local church. That's how Jesus designed it. And it's important that we understand that. Even your ministry, even what God has put on your heart must be grafted and flowing through a church. The parachurch ministries, you know, they're there because they they saw needs where the church wasn't stepping up to bat. But I tell you, if they want to succeed in the long term, they all need to connect to a local church or the leaders who volunteer in these need to, because all ministry flows out of the only organization he ordained, and that is the local church. Guys, listen, when the church gets this, we flourish. See, when I was a teenager, I realized uh, when I was a youth pastor, I was a youth pastor for a long time before I was a, I've been in ministry for, it'll be 23 years this fall. I've been a pastor and half of that was in youth ministry and I'm still helping out in youth ministry. I get to hang out with Sean on Wednesday nights. It's pretty awesome. He does a great job. But when I was working with students, I learned some things about church. I learned number one, that it's possible to create an environment where unchurched kids will come and want to be there. I saw that it's possible to have lost people who don't know Christ, who don't know church, who don't like church, to come and want to come back. And I also learned that if you can get unchurched kids into that kind of environment, then barriers begin to come down and the Holy Spirit begins to work in their life. And over time, I've seen those kids become followers of Christ. Guys, listen, youth groups do this all over the country. And I saw it in my youth group. And, and this is why we have Living Way Church, because I believe it's impossible to create an environment where lost or unchurched people, people who are turned off by church, can come into an environment and want to come back. And I believe with all of my heart that if they keep coming back, the Spirit of God will overwhelm them. So I made up my mind early that I want to spend the rest of my life with people who get this, that the church can reach the unchurched with the presence of Jesus and partner with people to understand that followers fish. Guys, listen, the second closest thing, the second closest way, the second closest uh, experience you'll ever get to the kingdom of God is when you are functioning strategically in the body of Christ. The first is when your family is functioning strategically with the body of Christ. There is something extraordinarily amazing that happens when a lost person walks into an environment where people get this. Guys, listen, two things I want to pray with you today. And I'm going to give you guys a stone because I want you to walk out of here realizing that you are a Petros in the giant Petra. Jesus is the rock. He is the Petra. He is that foundation, that truth is the unmovable, hard to grasp, massive mountain of truth. But we are just the Petros. We are a piece of that body of Christ that is proclaimed 
We are a tool in the hands of Jesus. So today, as we walk out, I want you to take a stone to remind you that you are a stone in the church that God is building. But two things I want you to realize about being a fishing buddy, and then we're going to close in prayer. The first one is this. Fishing buddies realize the come and see principle. That means if you're here, you understand a principle that I'm going to talk about that the scripture laid out called the come and see. Let's take a look at this. In, in, a, in the come and see, it's basically Jesus asking, uh, you got questions about God? You got questions about Jesus? Um, I can answer some of them, but why don't you come and see? Why don't you come and see and get in the environment where Jesus is lifted up, where the body of Christ, guys, listen, man, this is so powerful, guys, listen. We are the body of Christ. If you want your friends to see Jesus, they must be in the midst of the body of Christ to see his presence. Man, there's nothing more powerful than unified followers of Christ, the body of Christ working in unison the way that God called us to work. Man, it's powerful. It's to come and see. A couple of examples. John 1, 38. Jesus uh, looked around and he saw a couple of guys following him. And uh, he said to these guys, what are you seeking? What are, what are you up to? And he asked them, uh, what are you doing? And they replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, um, where are you staying? And Jesus answered, well, come and see. Come and see. Jesus, tell me more about what's going on uh, with you. Who are you? Well, come and see. Andrew then left and told his brother, Peter, come and see who I just met. You've got to see it for yourself. And then he shows up the next day, John 1, The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee and he found Philip and he said to him, come be my disciple. Come and see. Philip then turns around and he goes and gets his brother, Nathaniel, and says, Hey, Nathaniel, you got to come and see. He says, Nazareth, he says, there's this guy from Nazareth. I think he's the Messiah. And he says, Nazareth, explains Nathaniel, can anything good come from there? And this is what Philip says, just come and see for yourself. Just come and see for yourself. If I can just get you in his presence, you might see it. You might know that he is who he is. This is powerful. This is the strategy of a great fisher of people. Just tell them what you know and then invite them to come and see. Just tell them what you know about Jesus. Be that witness as best you can. Tell them what you know. Tell them that God loved, God gave, we believe, we receive. And tell them the simple story of Christ's salvation. And, and, and if, you get, if you get stuck... That's fine. Just say, you know what? Come and see. Come and see. Bring your friend. Bring your dad. Bring your neighbor. Bring that teenager. Bring those kids. They or you may not understand it all. But man, when you get them in the presence of Jesus, things happen. Luke 14, 23. Then the master in a parable, the master representing Jesus, he told his servants, go and into the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house may be full. Some translations say go into the highways and byways. So then go to the busy roads and those off the busy roads. Go and compel them to come in. Some of you think, well, well, you know, you, you go to invite somebody, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm just, I'm not ready for church. I'm not ready for primetime Christianity. You know, I, I've got problems. I've got issues. I got stuff going on at home. Uh, you know, 
if you would look at the church as a hospital, guys, I want you to realize not a single one of you ever thought I need to get well before I go to the doctor. I, we, we don't do that. We don't go, I need to get better before I go to the emergency room. That's the opposite. You go sick because you know there's a physician there to heal you and to help you. Guys, there is a great physician here. His name is Christ Jesus. And I want you to tell your friends, I want you to know, come sick. In fact, Jesus said in Mark 2, he says, I didn't come for those that think they're well. I came for the sick. So if you have a friend who thinks, man, they are so off the Jesus chart, then they're perfect because the physician is here. And this is a hospital, so come hurting and come sick. Invest in a friend. Talk to them about Jesus. And when the time is right, come and see and expose them to the presence of God, which is the body, a symbol, ecclesia, the church. And then it's wow. And when they get here, man, they're greeted at the door with a smile, it's an atmosphere where they don't feel judged or condemned. The worship is on point and heartfelt and spirit-led. And Kid Venture is organized and they feel safe and secure. And, and when they go to the youth group, there's a sense of love and compassion and clarity. And the messages, they hit home and they make sense and it's not over their head. And we're all working together and all of a sudden, light bulbs, aha moments, the Holy Spirit The come and see works together. We are partners together. Guys, here's the second principle. The first one is the come and see principles. The second one is the realize the partnership principle. The partnership principle. Here's this. Good fishing buddies come together with a specific purpose. This is going to be a challenge to some of you. I want you to imagine if we all came together on a Sunday with a specific purpose. If Living Way is your home and you came here every Sunday knowing you had a part in the kingdom of God being preached to the world. Matthew eighteen nineteen says, I tell you this, if two of you agree, that's the partnership principle on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three are gathered in my name, that's the partnership principle, I am there in the midst of them. Guys, this is not about, you know, meeting up at, you know, Starbucks and having coffee or playing some basketball or, or getting together for a, a volleyball team or singing some songs, you know, friend's house. No, this means it literally if two or more are gathered on official Jesus business, I show up. I make myself known. I show up in your midst. I show you my presence in a very unique and special way. He says, you want to see my presence? Then show up on purpose. Because with a purpose, when you show up with a purpose in my name, then I show up in an unmistakable way. When the church meets to lift up Jesus, Jesus shows up in our midst. See, when you show up on official Jesus business, God promises to be here. Guys, if, 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 if we could get this and we all embraced our part, our role in being fishing buddies, in this part, I mean, we're working to get, you leave and you spread the gospel and then you come and see, you invite them. And when they get here, what are they going to see? That's the question. Because we're not babysitting. We're not just shaking hands. We're not setting up coffee and singing songs. We're partnering with each other to fish. We're partnering with each other to see broken lives healed and blind eyes open. See, when you can get this inside of you, This would change everything about how the church functions. Guys, the real question is, is what are you doing when people are coming? 
Either we're trying to fish without the church, that's what a lot of people do, or the church is trying to fish without people serving in the church, where only a few do everything. So I've got two questions I want you to think about this week. Two questions. First question is this, and you can talk about them over lunch or just kind of meditate on them this week. Is Number one is, are you investing in inviting? That means, are you investing in someone who has yet to believe? Are you in investing time and energy and efforts into reaching out to people? Are you inviting people to the come and see? And there's the second question is, are you serving strategically? Where are you when people come? When I bring someone, where will you be plugged in? If too many people don't get this, our staff goes crazy because we're doing everything. If too few people get this, a pastor will go crazy. Living Way was not started so that I could work at church. And I want to be a part of a movement that changes the world. Good news. We don't have to do it alone. So what happened to the church? Well, they worked together. And this is what happened. Here's an overview of Acts. In Acts 1, the resurrected Jesus says goodbye. And he gives a clear mission. And he says, tell the world about me until I come back. And then in Acts 2 through 8, the church is empowered and begins to launch into Jerusalem. And then in Acts 11 through, uh, through 8 through 11, the church begins to pour into Judea and Samaria. And then in Acts 11 through 20, the church begins to reach beyond the boundaries of Judea and Samaria and Jerusalem and begins to touch the world. And then the latter part of Acts is how it's a challenge to stand up for Christ in the church in a world that's hostile against us. And all of a sudden, Acts ends abruptly out of nowhere. Acts ends, Acts 28, and it's over. There's no end, and there's no they lived happily ever after. You know why? Because we're living Acts 29. We are the church, empowered by the Spirit. So Jesus said, I will be my church. But like Peter, if we can get this in us, we can understand that we're at peace, we're stone in the body of Christ and the church that he is building in this bigger mountain of purpose to reach lives. When we get this, the world will never be the same. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have the band come up. We're gonna, I'm going to play one video, and I'm going to put these over at the door. And I want you guys to grab a stone and put it on your dashboard of your car. Keep it in the island of your car. Put it on your dresser. Um, it's It's heavy. You know, I wouldn't suggest you put it in your purse, but you could put it in your purse, your pocket. But every time you see it, I want you to realize you are a Petros. If, if you understand, if God has revealed who he is as the savior, as the son of God, you are a Petros. You are a stone in the hand of God that he will use to build the church of God so that the kingdom of God on earth can be made known. Guys, listen, one day Jesus is coming back and he's coming back for his church. And when he comes back for his church, what will he find us doing? I don't know about you, but I want to be partnering with you to change the world. God, thank you that you didn't just leave us, but God, you gave us the power of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you'd help us to understand that we have a mission and God, that we would embrace our role in our church for that mission and with that mission that we partner together to see the world changed.
God, that we would embrace our role in the church today, that we would embrace our place in the body of Christ today and how it works in our world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Living with Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.